Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and we're excited to announce that we are bringing the Cafe Bitcoin Conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Max Kaiser, Lynn Alden, Thomas Strolite, Corey Clipston, and many others from the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications of when we launch a new episode or join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern, every morning become part of the conversation. Thank you again. We look forward to giving you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. So we have a couple minutes to talk about Bitcoin news cycle, which we will, and then we'll dive into the topic today, which is immutability. Super, super important. You know, last week we had <clears throat> Eric Yates. Hope I'm saying his name right. I think I am. Uh, he was talking about the seventh property of money, which is new when it comes to Bitcoin, and that is immutability. I'm excited about that topic because it is one of the most important aspects of Bitcoin as money because it has a lot of promise in terms of what's good for the human race. Okay. So... They were talking about Bitcoin on Joe Rogan. What? When? They were? Recent? Wasn't that over the weekend? When did that that last clip come out? I'm starting to see all these clips where they're talking about. So, so Adam Curry, who I believe is an old MTV uh, DJ, uh, who may know Rogan, I'm not sure. And, you know, we have the clip, so we could throw that up in the nest, but... He went on there and was kind of orange pilling him, and he said, uh, "I think to quote him, he was like, I only want to store my value in Bitcoin to Rogan.'" And and Rogan replies, "I have a lot of hope for Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies." So yes, he did use the C word, but hey, guys, he did use the B word, and it's exciting. I mean, you could see all the people and the, the way that he's starting to think. I mean, he's on the track to Bitcoin, so it's extri- extremely exciting to see uh, the orange pilling process go on. But uh, but yeah, Adam Curry was the guest that was on a show and uh, talking about it. Damn. So that gets more exciting, actually, because Jordan Peterson has already been effectively orange pilled by uh, like Robert Breedlove. And I think it was John Ballas and a couple other guys. And if I'm not mistaken, Jordan Peterson should be speaking with Joe Rogan here shortly, like maybe this week. I think it's the 18th. Yeah, I think it's coming up within a week. So I'm extremely excited about that as well. That's going to be an epic episode. Oh, yeah. Hey, what's up, Dot? When, uh, when, uh, Morning. Joe finally gets orange pilled in front of everybody with 40 million viewers, man. Oh, my goodness. Good morning, Dot. Dot, you had your hand up. Let her rip, dude. Sorry, my kid's kicking off. <laughs> yeah, I get that. 
he wants to hear Joe Rogan. This is a family show, so your your child, your kids, welcome. You know, we got everybody here. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah, no, but I gotta go back and listen to this Joe Rogan, man. I didn't even know anything about it. Yes, yeah, so the most recent one with Adam Adam Curry. So it's going to be cool to make sure. I mean, here's the thing. This is purely my opinion. I think Joe Rogan's already a Bitcoiner. He just doesn't know it. Like the way he thinks, the way he's, if you watch his show, he's changed a lot over the last two years. Like moving to Texas, getting surrounded by Texans <laughs> has sort of changed him a little bit. But you can kind of see the trajectory of his value systems and his views have been changing slowly over the last couple of years. And he's right on the edge, in my opinion. He already thinks like a Bitcoiner. He just doesn't understand that Bitcoin is the solution yet. And that's going to happen, I think. Exciting times, man. So, yeah, there was some speculation that that, that, that led to that big spike that we saw yesterday. I'm not convinced of that just yet, but... It's certainly interesting. Talk to me about this hash rate chart you've got up here, Jacob. Well, over the weekend, I don't know if, if you could throw it up in the nest. I think Dylan LeClaire made this chart. It's kind of just an interesting, you know, and like I get it. Charts, stock the flow, all these things are kind of pointless and nothing seems to to be working out or whatever in terms of those type of predictions. But having said that, this hash rate chart was very interesting. All it is is showing a chart of the hash rate going up and at the same time, the price somewhat following. So it's just kind of, um, I, I wouldn't say a little hopium, but you know, it's, it's exciting to see, um, like we were speaking last week about the network effects, the hash rates, things that truly matter um, when it comes to the Bitcoin protocol. So it was just a really cool chart uh, that I believe uh, Dylan LeClaire did make, um, and it's just, again, like I said, represented, it's showing from the beginning of Bitcoin till now, uh, the hash rate going up as well as the price in accordance with that. So, um, because I believe over the weekend, I don't know if any, um, I saw the, the fun Borat meme that like Kazakhstan, uh, is shutting down their mining. And then there's like, I go to America, the, the meme. So that was really fun. So I wonder if that had anything in effects with price, but, um, I don't know if anybody else saw that this week did, um, so thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, I just threw it up in the nest, and uh, it's animated, which is cool for some people who like drawings and books with pictures in them. But it uh, it's interesting to see how the hash rate very closely tracks the increase of price. You know, Brandon Quidham wrote a paper recently um, talking about looking at energy through a natural lens so to speak i'm paraphrasing but like the changes that bitcoin is going to bring about in terms of energy usage energy project uh, production and bringing new power online and just sort of the the quality of life that comes with having consistent power man that's going to be huge for the whole world that's an exciting thing Hashtag cheaper cost of living. Cheaper, better, right? There's a lot of people that don't have power on the regular basis. And 
power is a it's a huge thing to leverage leverage human effort you know it's like people in the west they could take this kind of stuff for granted i lived in panama central america for 11 years right down the street from where we lived there were people who you know they lived in these little corrugated tin homes not even joking like they they built these homes the walls were corrugated tin the roofs were corrugated tin they had dirt for a floor they had one light bulb and they were stealing power from the neighbor and it's like if you don't have regular power you you know it's not like in the west where you can sit down in the evening with power in your house and a desk and a computer and have the knowledge the sum total knowledge of the human race at your fingertips through the internet so that you can spend your time learning about literally anything and growing your ability to earn and be more productive as a human being. Just as this starts to roll out where you see places that never really have plant and equipment, it's gonna come down to, in my mind, the policies of the countries and the municipalities and what they're offering Bitcoiners. Because I can see a day where Bitcoiners get together, they pool a whole bunch of capital, and they're like, yeah, let's buy, a, buy one of those Westinghouse micro-reactors. We're going to plant it right here in XYZ country that offers really good incentives to Bitcoiners. And they're going to start a city, and it's going to be a Bitcoin Citadel city based around a freaking nuclear micro-reactor with their own mining and then these are going to create these gigantic mesh networks of citadels. This is just, it's mind-blowing where this can go. Damn, we getting a flag or what? There'll be lots of little flags, I'm guessing. We should have a flag, though. <laughs> it's a great idea, you know? Nothing like having a standard to really ultimately claim your territory right well you got to have standards for people to rally around too it creates identity so you know it's the reason why sports teams have mascots and whatever goes all the way up to the nation state level brother i just look forward to like a few years from now like you know a decade even and we just, you know, we're we're still holding strong and we just like look back on these times and we kicking it in these rooms, you know, and and just like it's it's fun now, but it's like we're gonna see it as we keep going and and we're gonna look back. I mean, we're all gonna have our own like barren ships, you know. It's it's just funny to think about, you know. I mean, I don't know. Somebody gonna open their own media company here. I mean, somebody gonna buy a country, somebody gonna buy the 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 education department i mean i don't know it's just it's funny to see i mean right now we're we're just all talking about this stuff but keep holding you don't know what's going to happen in a few years you know can totally see it going there max kaiser is moving to el salvador with stacy they've been hanging out with uh el salvador's ambassador to the united states and i saw in some back channel comms that they may be or they may or may not i can neither confirm nor deny that they will be meeting with the president of el salvador for other reasons interesting stuff 
I'll tell you what, man, Bukele has been, there was a, I don't know, I think it was Hanky, like Bukele went off, absolutely shredded him. I got that right? Is it Hanky? Yeah, you're, you're totally right. Yep. I loved it. I loved it. Do you think that he has more liberty to, to kind of say what and do what he wants because of his, like, status within this country? Like, or do you, like for instance, like, the president of, of the United States, he couldn't just totally slam Sam Hanky, right? Like, I mean, I guess he could, but, like, I don't know. Like, Bukele's, like, can do so many awesome things because he has so much freedom too like i'm not and also he's just a great guy so he wants to do these things but i'm just saying i mean he could do anything that he wants to do you know it's awesome were you on twitter for the past few years uh (laughs) (laughs) true 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 okay so the the this is my opinion on bukele is is that he is a very outspoken guy in a way that is not regular politics right in regular politics you you know the president of one country may say disparaging remarks about any other country or any other system or any other uh war fighting stance or you know just the, the typical politics right what bukele is doing is he's breaking from tradition in that he's talking about things that are basically when it comes to global geopolitics puts you in the naughty box and he's just right out there doing it, and he doesn't care, apparently. Um, historically speaking, the kind of attitude that he's taking and the, the the direction that he's going gets your country bombed and invaded. And I'm not joking when I say that. That's been the history of it. So I think what he's doing is incredibly brave, personally. I know there's a lot of people who don't like Bukele, but I look at what he's doing, the man's got a lot of courage because he ain't stupid. And I think he realizes that every time he says the things that he says, that puts a potential target on his back. And I'm not I'm not being hyperbolic when I say that. I am 100% serious right now. Because he's not talking about oh, we don't like your, you know, your military forces over here. We don't like this policy over here. We don't like it. He's talking about shooting, giving the IMF the bird, giving the Bank of International Settlements the bird, essentially giving the U.S. dollar system the bird. And, and, and he's like, hey, you guys don't do anything for us. You just take from us. We're done. We're out. That's different. Yeah, how can he get away with it? Like uh, Jacob, I think he's he's got the he's got the support of the populace. The majority of the populace loves that guy. Like, did you guys see that commercial that they did where they're like, "Hey, the best thing you can do against the against the 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 coof is to just be healthy, drink water, exercise, don't be fat." I think that Bitcoin's rapid price appreciation is also kind of inflating his ego a little bit. Well, to be fair, I think his his um his country's buys are underwater right now, right? Pretty sure. Well, let's see what he does. Like, I don't know. It seems to me like he's never stopped like talking his talk. You know what I mean? Like, we'll see. It goes down to yeah, thirty. Sorry. Well, was, to be fair, he hasn't say... stopped talking his talk since 
his announcement, which saw pretty rapid price appreciation. So it'll be interesting to see what happens between now and the next couple months. Yeah. And the other thing is, you know, it's not just the Bitcoin that his country owns. I mean, they're getting tons of investment uh, because of what they're doing. So, I mean, it's it's all positive, I think, <laughs> even if their Bitcoin, you know, is down a little bit uh, in terms of its value. Yeah, I'd say measure just, you know, watch for consistency, watch for 180 changes of direction. Watch for rug pulls and then, over, you know, measure it every now and then. Measure it five years from now. Measure it 10 years from now. What's the actual progress of that country? And likewise, what's the progress of other countries which adopt it in 2022? Because that's coming. Does anyone know, like, does anyone know the story behind uh, Bukele's orange pilling? It was Jack Mauler's, right? I think so. That would have. I think you'd have to go back to the uh, Bitcoin 2021 conference yeah. and watch that video. But I, yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure um, maybe Bukele personally reached out to to Mahler's. I can't remember. Okay. Yeah, because I'm curious. I mean, I, I'd be really curious, kind of the history behind Bukele's orange pilling and how quickly he got orange pilled. You know, like if it because I from my very brief, you know, looking into it, it looks like he got orange built pretty quickly. And then he just like went full on Bitcoin. And so I'm curious if like, you know, if his conviction is really there, or if he's just kind of like using it to his advantage, because he knows it's gonna, I mean, he knows it's gonna help his country, right? Like maybe, maybe he got orange built and he realized like the potential of Bitcoin, but, but also more in terms of like how it can help him stay in power because he's still a politician in the end, right? He wants to stay in power. Yeah, really, the, the one thing to watch in that particular area, in my opinion, around Bukele and El Salvador would be the most recent announcement or development with regards to taking Chinese money um, to fund the stadium. And I think it was a military school, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I would just watch and see, make sure that like he doesn't start pivoting away from uh, his particularly independent point of view. I don't think there's anybody under 50 that you put in a room with Jack Maulers that doesn't get orange filled. For real, man, that guy, <laughs> like you can't, you can't listen to him speak about Bitcoin and just get super bullish. Good morning, Bloodbath. Good morning, Peter. Good morning. China has shown some uh, lending of infrastructure or for infrastructure for a lot of these company or countries, and then when they uh, don't pay up, they take it over. So I think that's uh, that could play into this too. Yeah, that's why. Like, that's why I said to like kind of watch it, but um, if if Bitcoin does what many of us think it will do and like hope it will do, um, it might actually present Bukele in a very powerful position, right? Because he could take on the Chinese debt, but then if if Bitcoin does moon, 
Um, he's not necessarily beholden to their coercion tactics that they basically copied from the U.S. But we'll see, right? Right. Because they could they could also try to manipulate Bitcoin's price to shake him out. Well, and that's the other thing that's happening. I don't want to get too like bearish here, but that's the other thing that's happening with regards to the Evergrande situation within China. Because there was a, uh, I think it was, um, it was back in December, maybe a couple weeks ago, there was like something like 73,000 Bitcoin that rushed to Binance. And then we basically like immediately started seeing kind of uh, the sell-off that we're still seeing right now. The great thing about Bitcoin is that you can only manipulate it for as long as you have Bitcoin. Yep. Right? So, <laughs> well, bring it on, man. I love If you think sense. about it. If you if you watch where the money's flowed over years, really, you know, once China basically said no more exchanges, you're not allowed to buy Bitcoin anymore. The Chinese citizens, what happened? A, the exchanges moved offshore simultaneously. Lots of Bitcoin moved off, and then the buying in the stablecoin market has been huge. And what are they doing with that? They're buying Bitcoin. Right. So that's uh, that to me, that might be a pretty good explanation for what we're seeing in the price action right now is that Chinese are concerned about the fallout from Evergrande. They're wondering whether it's going to cause a domino effect in the Chinese economy and they're repositioning accordingly with cash if necessary. And ultimately, of course, the price action doesn't really matter, especially not down here. Can you guys hear me okay? Yep. We still hear rumors about mining in China in some spots, but for the most part, I mean, aside from the rampant corruption inside the government, which is kind of plain for everybody to see because it, it happens in everyday life with red envelopes and the um the you have to consider your your boss your god you know it's that kind of mentality where you have to treat them as otherworldly or you you don't make it and you fall back to your original class or it's it's this desperation to flee this stranglehold of of a government and lifestyle even though everything they show the rest of the world is happy and lively and all these wonderful images. Um, it, it doesn't matter what they do. And when they, when people see the exit, that is Bitcoin, they're going to take it and they're going to do it any way they can. So we see their money fleeing to these DEXs and these offshore exchanges, and it's not going to stop. It's, it's just not going to stop. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's right, actually. Like over the uh, 14 years that I was in the gold and silver bullion industry, we keep we kept pretty close um, eyes on flows of capital out of China. And even though it was basically illegal to do so, according to the government, they didn't want people, Chinese citizens, moving their wealth outside of China, right? They want to keep it in China. But that didn't stop the Chinese, right? You've got places all around that work basically as offshore havens for money 
you've got Macau where lots of money flowed through. And I'm talking to the tune of trillions and trillions of dollars a year. And that's been going on for decades now. Um, you know, which is <laughs> you go to certain cities in Canada and it's mostly owned by Chinese. That's not, you know, that's not an accident or a coincidence. It's that's because they're moving their wealth out of there as much as they can. You could have one of the biggest companies in China and disappear the next day. Jack Ma, right? Has anybody heard from that guy? Just sparsely, uh, just minor uh, appearances, pre-written notes, um, news excerpts, things like that. He's he's alive, but he is muzzled. He is constrained. They they got him on a very short leash right now. Um, and and the other things we see, Alex, is not not necessarily just from individuals, but the government themselves. They're taking uh, American dollar loans and they're buying properties around the globe in Africa and all across everywhere. And they're they're going after the hard resources with literally fake dollars because they don't pay back the loans. We saw a record default on on loans in throughout corporate uh, China of American loans, like over $16 billion, I think, was the halfway point last year. And they just kept doing it. Even oh, though China they're, was, they're they're purchasing land in the U.S. too. Like there was a large mm -hmm. plot of land that was purchased right near a um, United States Air Force base, and they're using it to put up, uh, I believe, a wind turbine field. <laughs> like, what? Wasn't it? Weren't they also buying in Canada as well? And then somebody shut that down. Did I hear I that so. wrong? I don't well, know for sure. Yeah, I, I think there thinking, was something on that. Yeah. If you think about it, everything you're describing is basically a speculative attack of the United States dollar. Yep. On a global level. That's been happening on an individual level with Chinese citizens for a long, long time. So I could definitely see a situation where as this progresses and people are looking for places to keep their purchasing power safe, man, the future well, is so bright for Bitcoin. And you, you know what it does, Alex, is that it allows the Chinese to get effectively embedded within um, the United States's economic activity and health, and it prevents them from really almost becoming a target as far as... Um, the 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 currency war that many of us have been talking about for the last couple of years it kind of it forces the chinese to have to be kept alive in order to prevent the the like the united states and the us dollar from also collapsing with them it's it's, it's a very cleverly structured mutually assured destruction scheme yeah at the start of 2020 chinese investors owned about uh, 192,000 acres of us ag agricultural land valued at 1.9 billion according to politico then once you so like once you guys understand that then kind of like all of this fear of war in but like world war three or anything like that really starts to wash away because nobody can really afford to engage with each other and then it becomes this proxy economic currency war instead yeah not at scale right you see it yeah you, you see it sort of one small 
region at a time. Ukraine, Kazakhstan. That's, that's, that's if it's kinetic, right? And a lot of times they don't even have to go kinetic anymore, right? Yeah, and Alex, and that's where the, the topic around Russia gets is really interesting to me because Russia has been largely kind of the like I mean they're they're kind of like the dark horse as far as geopolitics go, right? Um, but they've also been largely quiet. And they've been uh what seems to me they've been kind of trying to like slowly distance themselves from um particularly US based currency activity, but they I'm I don't know anything as far as the Chinese side. So I don't know. I'm I, I love talk about like talk about this stuff. It's very interesting. So China has an incentive to stay sort of enmeshed in the U.S. dollar system right now. The Chinese yuan is yeah. still pegged to the U.S. dollar, and they're still heavily dependent upon the U.S. dollar for their economic activity, not just you know supporting their their domestic economy, but also globally because a lot of the world still trades in U.S. dollars. But you see that. A lot of countries are moving away from that standard on a mutual basis. Going back to Russia, Russia has been, over the last 10 years, selling off all of its U.S.-denominated debt and buying gold. So Russia is completely outside the system now. So if you watch <laughs> the saber-rattling at the political level, as always, Russia, you're naughty. We're going we're gonna to sanction you, you know, economically. And Russia's been basically building up this massive shield wall this entire time over the last decade to where they're like, you know, so what? What are you going to do? Yeah, and ultimately that's where that's where things get very 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 interesting, especially right now with like the latest um developments around Kazakhstan and Ukraine. Because with Kazakhstan, they can gain access to a large portion of energy generation on the Asian continent. But there's also what I didn't realize until just recently was Kazakhstan was actually the the site that um, I think it was the was it Soviet Russia or I, I can't remember. But where they the, the testing occurred for um, the nuclear arsenal during World War Two. So I don't know if there's any uranium assets left within within those borders that maybe people have forgotten about. But um, it's largely it's a giant energy honeypot for the Asian continent. And we're watching kind of developments that look like the dissolution of the European Union is getting more and more, um, I don't want to say probable, but plausible. Because like they're, they're trying to figure out what to do with the economic ramifications of um, recent, like current events and developments. So like it, what it looks like to me is the European Union is going down the path of dissolving. And then you're going to see country those countries start to compete with one another. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm talking just economically. We're not talking about war. Um, they're going to start competing with one another, and that ultimately allows a divide and conquer style strategy, to where Russia is in the very, very, very strong point in the world, and China, because they're based so much off U.S. dollar, um, like we were mentioning. They're also very much in a very weak stance right now. Um, if you've heard Magoo talk about it, he's got it nailed down pretty accurately. Um, what it looks like they're doing is they're trying to aggressively enact this kind of land grab strategy to where they kind of call everybody else's bluff on trying to like hold China like on, on a leash. And they're gaining this, the, the territories as far as Hong Kong. They're going for Taiwan now. Um, 
it looks like they're trying to expand their borders before like they have to do a default and then they can keep all the assets within their borders and then start all over again. This holiday season, give the gift of Bitcoin to your loved ones. Swan delivers your Bitcoin gift along with our world-class education and client service. Create a Bitcoin gift and wrap it with a custom message for your family and friends. Dash away with your gift. Your recipient will receive an email right away that easy. Give the gift of generational wealth. Give Bitcoin. That was a very heavily caffeinated um, rant, and I just completely derailed the conversation. So I'm going to go back to writing. No, no, it's, it's not bad. It's not bad. I, that actually made me look up the natural resources of Kazakhstan, and the country ranks among the world's leading uh, countries in its reserves as chromite, wolfram, lead, zinc, magnesium, silver, and uranium. It also ranks second to Russia among countries of the CIS, uh, of the CIS in its quantity of mineral production. Um, so they're not, they don't just hold it, they're able to produce it as well, and mine it efficiently. Um, it also has significant reserves of bauxite, copper, gold, iron, iron ore, excuse me, coal, natural gas, and petroleum. So tinfoil hat is maybe not just a thing. <laughs> Yeah, look, redrawing national boundaries is never a tinfoil hat, right? Like, <laughs> there's a reason they're redrawing these boundaries, and it's going to have a lot to do with either strategic value or resource strategic value, right? Is Kazakhstan, aren't they the, the largest producer of uranium in the world? I believe so, yeah. but they don't, they don't do it... Um, they don't do it very effectively from what I've been able to deduce. Like they do it effectively as far as getting the content out, but it seems like they're getting extorted largely for the, the value compensation. Cause like if they're the largest producer of uranium and especially with all these other forms of energy, I don't understand why they're in such a tight economic situation as they are right now. You know, that term conspiracy theory is one of the freaking most effective things the CIA has ever done, I think. Because you've got human beings working together, which is a conspiracy, by the way, to affect global changes, some of them on a very high level, you know, redrawing nations' borders, invading other countries, monetary systems, you know. It's a very effective marketing scheme, right? Because the term conspiracy literally just means teamwork. Yeah, but but the important part is is it gets everybody arguing with each other about what these people are actually doing, and then they they have a lot less resistance to accomplishing their objectives, right? It's very ironic, effective though. Good morning, Tomer. How you doing? Um, I'm I'm doing okay. Just trying to catch up on the conversation. I just recently joined, and uh, I don't know that much about Kazakhstan, so uh, I'm listening mostly, and I will. Uh, maybe weigh in if there's something that I actually have questions about and or something about. Oh, not, neither do I. This is just Google, Google foo. Yeah, it's all good. It's all part of the, uh, the 24 hour Bitcoin or news cycle. So I think the format's going to follow that going forward. Most days we'll talk about what's going on for the first 30 ish minutes, unless we've got a featured guest. And, uh, and then dive into the main topic. Speaking of the main topic, so main topic today is Bitcoin immutability. What is it? 
and why you should care. So we'll start with the people on the panel already. If you're in the audience and you want to add to that, contribute to it, share your views, you're welcome to come up. We'd love to hear from you. If you have questions about that and you're in the audience, you can either DM me or you can raise your hand, come up and uh, talk about it. I'm just going to step off. Thanks for having me on. You guys have a great day. Buy the fucking dip. Fuck shit coins. <laughs> See you, brother. <laughs> All right. So what is immutability? Immutability basically is the opposite of fiat. Fiat is where governments can do things economically, specifically having to do with the currency, that are in the interest of a certain group of people, but not in everybody else's best interest. And immutability is the defense against that. Who wants to dive in here? Ooh, I can do this. So um, the the reason that I, and by all means, I saw Tomer raise his hand. So I'll, I'll, be, I'll keep this a lot briefer than before. Um, the, the, what really everyone should care about is the discussion around CBDCs being brought up, the central bank digital currencies, because that, that kind of power, that particularly technological advancement would allow for any whoever the issuing central bank is to not only gain a lot of insight into very intricate economic activities, but it can also allow for them to heavily um, restrict the freedoms as far as um, spending money. And not a whole lot of, like a lot of people today seem to think that that doesn't necessarily matter. But when if you're an individual who's um, used food stamps before you kind of understand where it can get scary pretty rapidly because they can choose they can determine which products are like quote unquote correct or right for you to spend that money on which means that they could have eventually use it to force rations on um the populace with regards to um food expenditure or energy expenditure like heating your home um that's not something that a government want. Like that's not something a population wants a government to do. Like if if the government determines or if this bank determines that um, you don't need to be as warm or as comfortable as you are, that gets very scary for a lot of people. What do you got, Tomer? Um, quite a bit. <laughs> this is a very important feature of Bitcoin is maybe, you know, we talk about decentralization and a lot of things, but at the end of the day, the decentralization is meant to drive immutability and immutability is the reliability of the record, but nobody can change the record that once an entry is made in the that entry is forever. And that the same thing about Bitcoin's rules are immutable. Nobody can go around changing the rules. So we have rules uh, without rulers, and we have um, and we have a record that's reliable. And uh, if you would if you would give me three minutes, I will I will read one of my articles that I've just recently rewritten called "Why Bitcoin Is the Path to Economic Stability," and it is its immutability that is what's leading to all these benefits that. That come because the whole reason for a blockchain, the whole reason for decentralization, the whole reason for mining, the whole reason for everybody writing their node is that nobody can change the rules or the history of Bitcoin. So um, it's it's why you should care. It's absolutely crucial. It's it's the whole sense of justice and fairness that comes 
from Bitcoin is its immutability. I wouldn't mind hearing that article read, Tomer. If it's read it. Minutes. All right. It's it's hot up. Like I, as I've mentioned before here, I'm I'm rewriting and reordering all of the articles that were in my 26 article series called Why Bitcoin. And um, and this morning, I literally just before, the reason I was late for this call was because I was editing it with my editor. And so um, this this is now <laughs> chapter 10 of the book called Why Bitcoin is the Path to Economic Stability. And it's and for those of you who've read the already public one, it's completely reorganized and rewritten. So it'll sound new to any of you. And I haven't proofread it yet, so it may, it may, it may require, but here it is. Uh, so we'll begin with, there is limited stability in national currencies. In 2021, the Venezuelan Bolivar lost 99% of its value against the US dollar. Even the British pound has experienced 17% volatility and ups and downs relative to the US dollar in the same period. In fact, when it comes to how they function, national currencies offer very limited security, usability, predictability, and indeed stability. None offer much predictability of their supply, and many, including the dollar, have seen massive supply increases in recent times. None are entirely resistant from theft by crooks. Or, so none are entirely resistant from theft by crooks or seizure from authorities. None are fully permissionless. Regulations exist that require owners to identify themselves and declare their uses for values above certain thresholds. All of them operate only with certain within certain jurisdictions, and none can have their supply verified independently. It's doubtful if the authorities in charge of them know what the supply know what supply exists. In summary, national currencies are not very stable at all. Yet Bitcoin is accused of being unstable. Quote, Bitcoin is extremely volatile, close quote, claim journalists, economists, and bankers. It is no wonder they draw these conclusions when judging by the standard of unstable national currencies. However, if you were on a boat that was being tossed about by rough seas and were looking at a lighthouse on the shore, that lighthouse's position would appear extremely volatile, despite the fact that that lighthouse is perfectly stable. Here's why Bitcoin is more like that lighthouse. Bitcoin is profoundly stable. Everything about Bitcoin is in fact perfectly stable. No matter what the world has thrown at it, Bitcoin has kept all its promises. It has issued a precisely predictable supply exactly according to the schedule. Its security has never been breached. It has allowed anyone in the world to use Bitcoin. It has allowed owners to spend their coins without restriction. It has allowed anyone in the world with a basic computer to verify its supply for themselves without having to trust anybody else. There have been no exceptions. Bitcoin is in fact extremely stable. Bitcoin's adoption is a migration towards its stability. When critics call Bitcoin volatile, it is not meant to be a compliment. They are implying that stability is preferable to volatility. This much is correct. They are just mistaken about what stability is. Bitcoin's incredible stability and reliability is precisely what is attracting ever-growing numbers of people, corporations, institutions, and governments to adopt it to ever greater degrees. As Bitcoin's adoption increases, its value, as measured in dollars, rises profoundly, albeit with wild short-term fluctuations. But it is not Bitcoin's nature that is fluctuating. Just like a lighthouse, Bitcoin remains perfectly stable. In light of all this, it is no surprise that Bitcoin is increasingly being chosen in place of national currencies. Bitcoin's steady and unbreakable assurances give the world a standard upon which we can trade with each other across any distance, in any amount, and over any period of time. Bitcoin's reliability will result in greater economic stability. That's it.
Sorry, I had some interruptions and distractions while I was trying to read the piece. But it, it uh, without mentioning the word immutability, because I'm trying to avoid uh, un poorly defined words or unfamiliar words in this, th this chapter is really very much about immutability. And, and we might consider the word immutable to be stable. And a stable monetary system is going to result in a stable economic system, a stable economy. So much of the instability in our economy comes from the instability in fiat monetary policies. We have regulators observing changes in the economy and trying to slam the brakes on it or step on the accelerator. And as they do that, they're the cause of the instability. At least that's my theory. Yeah, that's really good. You know, something that I hear over and over and over again with people who are new to Bitcoin is, uh, you know, they ask a, questions that they're framed in a way where it's obvious that they think there's, there's, you know, they want to know who's in charge of it, who's the central controller, who has the ability to control it, all that kind of stuff. The reason why they come to Bitcoin with that assumption in mind is because that's how the traditional finance system works, right? And I think a lot of these questions are just, they're not even consciously thought through to that degree. They're just coming from what they know. And uh, to me, the immutability part is there is no central authority. There is no small group of people who can change it and make the rules and do it, make it do whatever they want it to do. That's probably one of the most important things for people to understand that are coming to Bitcoin. I had a, uh, a guy that was a veteran, a Wall Street veteran, worked at JP Morgan, was a trader for broker for a really long time. And that was one of his first questions. He's like, who, who, who runs it? Who's in charge of it? Because the default assumption is somebody must be in charge of it, right? That's how all this financial stuff works. <laughs> somebody has control. Yeah, like we are so unfamiliar with, like, I think Bitcoin is perhaps the only man-made system that has nobody in charge of it. Like everything, every every other man-made institution has a president or a CEO or a board of directors or something. Bitcoin is more like nature. If you say, oh, I want to speak to the manager. I don't like the weeds that are growing. Can I speak to the manager? Can we change this? It's like, no, it's it's a natural process. Nobody, there's nobody who's in charge of it. You can you can hire someone to try to resist it, but at the end of the day, nature finds a way. And so it is, it it's a very profound difference between Bitcoin and anything else. And it takes a lot of people a long time to come to terms with the fact that Bitcoin has nobody in charge of it. And and just as importantly, it's not just that there's nobody in charge of it, but nobody can become in charge of it. Yes, that's absolutely, that's absolutely just as important. It's un, it's unseizable. It's untakeoverable. It's ungovernable. Its governance is its governance. End of story. And nobody can really change it. And that's what gives you the assurances, right? It keeps its promises because there's no human being who can break those promises. This is where gold fell down, by the way, as money. Because what gold promises, this is the reason why gold rose to the top in its time as the premium monetary uh, 
item or or good is because of its durability, right? Moving, carrying value forward into the future because it's not, it, you can't destroy it. It's indestructible. That's gold's primary value. If you're, if there's gold bugs in here, don't get mad at me. I used to, I used to work in the gold industry for a really long time. And I thought a lot about this stuff. Um, gold fell down because human beings can get involved in its movement and final settlement. At every stage of gold's sort of cycle in terms of being used for final settlement, you have to have the cooperation of other human beings. Gatekeepers is what I call them. Now, whether that be someone selling it to you, buying it from you, you, you know, somebody you're meeting in a parking lot to trade it for something, who knows what, selling it on an exchange, moving it on a plane from Switzerland to some other country, vault to vault. Every single one of those things requires the cooperation of other human beings, whether they're actually helping you move it, whether you need their permission to move it, or finally, whether they're people who just want to take it from you. And that's where, we're, that's where Bitcoin is different. Because for the first time in human history, you don't require anybody else's permission or assistance to move value globally, instantly, at almost no cost. And you can't change it. So back to the why the, the immutability thing and where gold fell down. Well, the United States was founded. Gold and silver was the money written in the Constitution. 1913 came around. Federal Reserve Act was passed. Now you have a central bank. 1944, Bretton Woods. The U.S. dollars made the world's reserve currency. Why? Because it's backed by gold. You can exchange your U.S. dollars for gold. 1971 comes around. They closed the gold window. Nixon basically said, sorry, we know we promised you you could have the gold, but we lied. You can't have the gold. Pure fiat currency system moving forward. And because they were able to basically say, yeah, we're controlling it as gatekeepers and you can't have it, it breaks. This is where gold falls down. It's, it's subject to the whims and wickedness of mankind, whereas Bitcoin is not and cannot be changed. That's immutable to me. It means you cannot change that. There's no group of people who are going to come in ever, some government or some bank, and be like, hey, we're going to take over Bitcoin. Impossible. Those are great points, Alex. And this kind of leads to a very small but important technical point. It's like, well, why? Why can't anybody just come in and take over Bitcoin? And the answer is because I'm running my node. What I say is Bitcoin is Bitcoin. And what Alex says is Bitcoin is Bitcoin. We may at some point in the future have a disagreement and he may end up running something different. I may end up running something different, but it will no longer be Bitcoin. And your ability to have Bitcoin stay immutable, stay the way it is, obey the rules it obeys, is because you can run a node of it. And so you can enforce all of its rules as they are unchanging by running your own node and connect to a network of other people who continue to run its own node. So you're in charge, right? Like we said, nobody's in charge, but that's not exactly true. You are in charge collectively with everybody else. So Tomer, how would you define what is Bitcoin if users begin to split and run different versions of it? Would it be the Bitcoin that has the most 
hash rate? Would it be the Bitcoin that has the most nodes? How would you define that? Uh, this is going to sound cute, but I'm not being cute about it because this is true for you as much as it is for me, this sentence. I would define Bitcoin as what I define Bitcoin as. Right? The one that I'm running and you, right? And, and everyone who agrees with me runs that thing. So we may end up in a world, like we had forts in 2017 that claimed to be the real Bitcoins with air quotes that were not, that were not Bitcoin, right? They were something else, but they claimed to be the real Bitcoin and the market sorted it out. The more the market said, well, you know, that one's that one that used to be that, that someone claimed was a real Bitcoin just isn't even worth one one hundredth of one Bitcoin now. So so that's where the value is. And, and why? Because it was a less decentralized version. It was harder to run a node. There was somebody clearly in charge. And when somebody's clearly in charge, it doesn't uphold the value. So I'm going on a little bit of a tangent then, but I. This really, really is an important point. There isn't some official person in charge of saying what is the real Bitcoin. You, this is self-sovereign. You are in charge of saying what is the real Bitcoin. If you create some crazy version that nobody else in the world agrees with you, you can be alone in your use of what you consider to be Bitcoin. But the right. beauty of this system is it brings us all together. And it, because it has a significant penalty for you creating your own version of Bitcoin, which is nobody accepts it. Right. So let's let's dig into that and unpack it. So for people who are new to Bitcoin, trying to understand this, this might be one of the more difficult things about Bitcoin for people to understand. So I want to do it justice and make sure we dig into it um, in a way where people are getting it. Uh, we're going to go with Wicked and then we're going to go with Shane. And then I want to dig in further into how that actually plays out. Go ahead, Wicked. Um, actually, I'm blanking out now on what I was going to ask, so uh, why don't you take the stage, Shane? <laughs> Sorry. Hey, yeah, no. I just wanted to make a quick uh, statement or observation. I think, you know, since we are talking about immutability, I think it's important to highlight the fact that proof of work, you know, makes that possible, whereas, you know, I think we would all agree all of the proof of stake projects out there, you know, it's highly concentrated with regard to those that control the, the large portions of the coins. And so there's no, absolutely no guarantee of immutability at all. Matter of fact, you know, most of them can be changed with very little effort, um, you know, and with the thoughts of a, of a very few and Tomer, mentioned what I was going to mention as well, you know, with regard to the block size war, I think block size wars prove the point that um, Bitcoin is what the majority of the people running the nodes say that it is. And that's uh, it's great. You know, there's still people fighting those wars who will appear from time to time in the, your Twitter feed and say, no, the real Bitcoin, the real Bitcoin is, is the one that's a fork of a fork of a fork led by the guy who claims to be Satoshi Nakamoto, silly things like this. So there's still people out there that, and, and the, you know, and it, what's important about these air quotes wars, cause they're not really wars. Nobody's getting killed. Nobody's getting bombed. These disputes is Bitcoin doesn't care. Right. And this community, like you can ignore those people. You don't have to be worried about whether they're, making any valid points or not. You've got a reliable system that you can count on 
that you're in charge of that they cannot corrupt. And that's why you don't have to worry about them. I remembered uh, what I was going to say. Um, I was going to kind of ask the panel um, if they think that backwards compatibility is something that's important to define what Bitcoin is. Because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't or aren't the, aren't aren't the forks by definition not backwards compatible? Yeah, so there's two questions there. Um, backwards compatibility is, in my view, extremely important because it says that you can have bitcoins, and and no one will ever take away your ability to spend them. There won't be some some new advancement that says, well, all those original coins, unless you upgraded them to something different will not be spendable. So it's, a, it's honoring the system that says if you had Bitcoin, you still have Bitcoin and you can still spend Bitcoin. Uh, the second part of the question is, aren't all the hard forks necessarily uh, backwards incompatible? And that's that's a really complicated technical question that kind of that forks off into a number of different ways. So I wouldn't necessarily uh, claim that they're not backwards compatible like they don't they don't make certain coins unspendable you are required to up to change your software to recognize the soft fork or to recognize the hard fork but anything goes really in a hard fork a hard fork says we're changing all the we're changing some or all of the rules and we're changing some or all of the records in the database and that's and that's what the history of hard, hard forks proves so there's something that's not necessarily fully backwards compatible about them, but it's not necessarily what you might expect. Um, and in the case of like one of these hard forks might just be, oh, the block size is twice as big. It doesn't prevent you from spending, doesn't prevent any previous existing coins from being spent or, or anything that you want to do with them. But I think the other thing that we've seen is once you start down the road of making these malleability changes of hard forking the system, it's very hard to stop. It's, it's like an addictive thing. And I don't think that there's a single one of these hard forks that didn't end up having to hard fork since, unless it was an immediate failure out of the gate and abandoned out of the gate. Like there's the Bitcoin Cash has hard forked numerous times. And then it's had hard forks that were just you know, like controversial hard forks that led to the existence of different coins. And the same is true of all of these uh, Bitcoin hard forks. And of course, if you look at Ethereum, you see that it, they got they got hard forks multiple times a year. They've just become completely addicted to this approach to make changes to the system, and the, and so they never really. Well, I, I don't want to get off on a whole thing about um, Ethereum, so I'll just stop. This holiday season, give the gift of Bitcoin to your loved ones. Swan delivers your Bitcoin gift along with our world class education and client service. Create a Bitcoin gift and wrap it with a custom message for your family and friends. Dash away with your gift. Your recipient will receive an email right away that easy. Give the gift of generational wealth. Give Bitcoin. Okay. Uh, good morning, Isaiah. Did you have any thoughts or questions? How you doing, boss? Uh, I, just, I just wanted to give my thoughts on... Um what you guys were talking about when you guys were trying to explain to the um, people that what Bitcoin is, right? And <clears throat> I want people to understand this. What Bitcoin is, you have to understand um, the the current monetary system, right? If you want to understand Bitcoin, 
Um, you just can't try to come in and understand this technology. You have to go to the basics first to understand why Bitcoin is here, right? Um, and you have to understand that Bitcoin is not a threat. Bitcoin is um, um, the, the the answer to billions of people that that um, that can't um, get to a bank a banking system and that that aren't privileged the way Western countries are, right? That's what Bitcoin is. It's for decentralization. It's to give those people um, a sense of a fight um, against governments that are trying to keep them down. And so that's what I was, I just wanted to say that. Awesome, man. I appreciate you sharing that. So back to the topic at hand, like uh, everything I say, Isaiah said, by the way, I agree with I think it's awesome. I appreciate it. But as far as the immutability, immutability aspect of it, that's um, the key there is that no small group of people, regardless of how much power they have in the fiat world, can come in and mess up our new monetary system. They just can't do it. So I'm going to quickly go through the way I view it, an analogy, to, and try to stay away from all of the Bitcoiner terms. If you're new and you're trying to understand this thing, as far as why that's true, one way to look at it is that it's like a, it's like a, a monopoly board, right? So we're all playing monopoly, and it's the same game, and it's the same money. Uh, and like some group of people decide that they want to change the rules. Well, what they'll do is they'll come in, they'll they'll create or propose a fork, right, and say let's all do this instead. And so what they're really doing is they're setting up a new Monopoly board and they're saying, hey, everybody come over here and play Monopoly with us because our way is better. And that's what all of these nodes do. You know, everybody who's running a node or basically, uh, let me use regular English. These are people who have some kind of computer that has a copy of, of the Bitcoin time chain on it. And they're verifying the rules in real time. Like whenever all of these things are occurring, all of these people who are running these have to agree. And the reason why these forks are unsuccessful is human nature, right? Satoshi was really smart. Whoever this person was or group of people was, they understood human behavior and human incentives. And the, and the way it works is, is that if, for example, let's give a scenario. The five largest banks in the world came in and they bought up a whole bunch of Bitcoin and they bought up a whole bunch of hash power and they started their own mining facilities and they tried to start buying ASICs out of the market and they wanted to try and change Bitcoin into something different. Well, they'd set up their monopoly board and they'd be like, hey guys, our board is better. And then every Bitcoiner on the planet would give them the bird and keep doing what we're doing. That's why you can't just change it. Justin, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning. How you doing? I'm doing great. Can you guys hear me? I know yeah, we can hear you loud and clear, man. Do you have a question or something you want to add to the discussion? Yeah, I just really wanted to add something. I didn't want to get too, you know, spiritual in here, but, you know, Bitcoin is, well, you know what it is. And I just wanted to kind of let the people know that the world will continue to be corrupt until we have a money that is immutable. And that's why it's so important. Because 
immutability is something that is, like you said, it's the exact opposite of human nature. It has no emotions attached to its decisions. So it's always going to be the same. It's basically physics, you know, two plus two is going to be four tomorrow, the next day, the next day, two years from now. It's always going to be four. Two plus two will always be four. But if that was not the case in this universe, then we wouldn't even be able to operate here as human beings. It would be a terrible experience. So I just kind of wanted to, I didn't want to get too deep, but like immutability is really the most important thing because it is what makes this universe even constant and physics what it physics even is. All right, man. Thanks for sharing. Does anybody up here uh, have any follow-ups on uh, the immutability part? And if you're in the audience, you want to ask a question, please do. You're welcome to do that. Shoot a DM. Um, I would just like to say real quick. So when I think of immutability, I mean, one thing that comes to mind immediately is uh, blockchain and what blockchain is and why it's used in Bitcoin and kind of you know, the reason why it's really only ever been successfully deployed in one project, which is Bitcoin. Um, I mean, so without getting too technical, blockchain is basically just a series of transactions put inside of these blocks, which are then chained together. Mm -hmm. In kind of a in, in a cryptographic way, right? And to change any of the transactions going backwards, you would have to re-encrypt or re you know resolve the hashing problem for every single block that you want to go as far back as you want to go. And so it, it creates this really really strong immutable chain of blocks of transactions that you can never really break unless you have an incredible amount of computing power. And then even then. You have to convince everybody running nodes <laughs> that your chain is is the right one, you know, even though it's changed. So it's really difficult to ever break this system. Um, and part of the reason I'm bringing this up is there's tons of other projects that use blockchain as a technology, and they claim that it's, you know, just as good or or even better or just as important as Bitcoin's use of blockchain. But it's totally incorrect and it's 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 on you know it, it, those claims are made without fully understanding or grasping what blockchain is and why it is used for bitcoin right when you have a system that has rulers or you have a system that can be easily changed or a blockchain that can be rolled back that then you defeat the whole purpose of a blockchain because it's no longer immutable and that's the only reason why we're using the blockchain here I don't know if that made sense. Sorry. Yeah, it does. Uh, you know, it's it's helpful, I think, to have different analogies because different people's brains work differently, right? Some people might relate to the way I explain something, and and other people will not. Some people might be like, "Man, that Alex guy's a douchebag. I hate the way he explains things." But I like the way Ant explains things, right? Or the way Wicked explains things. So it's good to have these different types of perspectives and analogies because. 
we can just reach a much broader range of people. Some people are more technical than others. Some people are not technical at all. <laughs> it's important to keep that in mind. All right. It sounds like we've covered this topic pretty well. Pretty well. Let's uh, let's wrap up on the on the topic and then move on to something else. If anybody has anything else they want to follow up with, go ahead. If you have a question, please ask it. If you want to come up and ask or add to the conversation, please do. We'll give that a minute. Just wanted to say that, um, Wicked, I thought that was a great explanation. You know, I think the immutability factor of Bitcoin is something that, uh, you know, consistency is something that we kind of all are hoping for in our lives, you know, more often. And I think for me, you know, just personally, like the consistency of Bitcoin, the fact that, you know, nothing changes with it, really. And then, to be honest, a lot of the people that are, you know, in the community, they're all pretty stand up citizens, like, you know, just in terms of like their character. I think a lot of the time that like if you become embedded with like bitcoin and bitcoin culture i think it just makes you so much of a better person so um just you know for me and being able to like listen to you guys it's just so exciting to be able to talk about things that actually matter and like being able to hang out with you guys in the morning and not talk about you know um i don't know just like being able to like that you guys are consistent i think is pretty cool and that that's kind of like bitcoin kind of builds you in that way like it makes you want to be like the asset which is kind of interesting to think about but I don't know. I just it's it's just, it's just a revolutionary thing. I don't know. It just it really changes people. I think. I had a thought real quick, Alex, if I could share it. I think you know a lot of people maybe from the outside that are not necessarily thinking about that are thinking about Bitcoin purely, like you said, or like we've been talking about. There's the technical aspect, and there's this other aspect of it. it you know, obviously, when we look at the technology world it's changing a lot there's a lot of innovation so forth and so on and and while i think there's a lot of innovation in bitcoin it's not in the monetary policy aspect of it which i think a lot of people may be coming into it new just looking at bitcoin as a way to make some more money have not thought through thoroughly maybe not researched why we need a monetary network a, a asset where its monetary policy is absolutely fixed will never change can never change and i think those incentives also come into play which were mentioned you know obviously once it's fully understood that there's there's a lot of incentive to keep keep it the way that it is because that's the only way it succeeds you know if someone wants to just cause it to falter altogether that would be one thing but we all know that it would cost a significant amount of money to try to attempt any kind of uh, attack on Bitcoin. And so I know, uh, you know, having now studied it enough that it's absolutely what I want is a monetary system that cannot change where all the properties that, that we know that Bitcoin has will, um, you know, continue to be so that not only I, but my, um, you know, those that come after me and my family, I'll be able to leave a legacy, you know, with with the asset that can't change. Amen to that. And I'll tell you what, when Klaus Schwab comes along and he tries to fork Bitcoin to the Klaus Schwab fork, I'm not going to vote for that one. I'm going to stay with the Bitcoiners. Go ahead, Wicked. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, Shane, I like what you were saying. And, and I, and, you know, I think part of this is, um, you know, I mean, it's true, right? Uh, Bitcoin's rules, they can change, right? If, if all of us decide, if all of us decide that we want 100 million Bitcoin tomorrow, we can vote on that fork, right? But like you were saying, Shane, like if we do that, we're shooting ourselves in the foot. We're ruining what Bitcoin is and we're, and we're ruining any trust that we've built for the past 13 years by keeping the rules unchanged. And so what this lends to, it lends to a protocol which hardens over time the longer, the longer it stays unchanged and uh, it basically makes everyone's incentives aligned, right? Who, who run that protocol. Everyone's incentives are aligned. Nobody would ever want to change it because it would be shooting themselves in the foot. So that lends to the immutability as well. Right. And at the end of the day, we just changed the subject of the room. Bitcoin changes you. You don't change Bitcoin. Good morning, MarkAndrew.BTC. By the way, I really like your handle.BTC. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very anti-F, so I thought I'd just co-opt their little game that they're playing there with the .F. Um, yeah, sorry. Just uh, on the previous topic about immutability, one of my favorite things about Bitcoin immutability is that um, we have no leader. You know, I, I think every organization, every country that has a leadership uh, structure and leadership is is um, is open to attack. Um, with Satoshi not being uh, knowable, and hopefully in my opinion, that never changes. Um, when somebody attacks Bitcoin, they're attacking hundreds of millions of people and not being able to um, discredit one person or 10 people, a bunch of VPs or CEOs and CFOs. Um, I just think that is, I, I, I don't hear it talked about a lot. And I, and I think that uh, that's one of my favorite things about Bitcoin. It's one of those areas where I think as Bitcoiners, we need to fine tune our language. It's uh, it's just like this whole thing about what's backing Bitcoin, like we talked about a couple times last week. Um, as Bitcoiners, we just need to get very succinct about what that means and why it's important to someone who's taking a look at Bitcoin as a potentially superior money to the old fiat system. And Alex, that was going to be my exact point. I think, you know, a lot of people come into it and hear just the word immutability and they're like, okay, you lost me. Um, so to some degree, you have to, you can talk about it and describe it, but I think we need to get better at um, explaining to people what problem it actually solves. And um, people get confused by, you know, certain words or terminology that a lot of us just take as you know everyday common language and so to make sure we're explaining to people like here is your current system here is what we've lived with and here is why immutability is important here's what that means to you and to me and the rest of the world and our futures yeah i 100 percent agree with that 100 percent 
we have to, as Bitcoiners, always remember to try to use terminology and analogies whenever possible when we're talking to somebody who's new to Bitcoin. Instead of burying them with terminology that we understand all the time, yeah, absolutely, we got to build that bridge, right? So, yeah, and it's fine to try to sound smart and get as many people to follow you on Twitter as possible, but in the end, we should all be, you know, trying to make it so people can easily understand it and juxtapose Bitcoin to the current system, explain what problems it solves, and win people over, right? Orange pill people, hundred percent. And people are more receptive, I think, to people who don't sit around trying to sound smart all the time. I mean, Bitcoin Twitter has its share of people that are like that. And, you know, there are a certain number of people who are attracted to that. And, you know, they're like, yeah, that guy really knows what he's talking about. Personally, I, I really appreciate the humble Bitcoiners. You know, there's a lot of Bitcoiners who don't like high note themselves. They don't like try to gain clout. They're just interested in helping people. Like Tao's in the audience. He's one of the coolest examples of that. The dude does not, rarely comes up. Then, you know, every time he comes in the room, I throw him an invite to come up here and talk. Every time. And <laughs> interestingly enough, he rarely takes me up on it. But when he does, man, the dude drops bombs. And he, he hosts spaces. This is how you know he's not about clout. He'll host a space and he'll be like one-on-one, -on -one, I'm going to help one person right now understand bitcoin and he'll sit in there by himself until one person comes in there and he'll work with them and it's just it's amazing really cool good morning peter how are you doing good morning hey i just wanted to add that when you said that we need to be um kind and considerate of new bitcoiners in our language i don't think it matters what stage somebody's at in bitcoin you know, and, and their knowledge, we have to be very considerate of the language that we use and making those same analogies. And I think that is particular when it comes to signing devices. Um, whenever somebody comes into the space and we start talking about signing devices, we tend to get uh, a little technical and a little pedantic. And I think that you know, it's already, that's the stage. I think personally, I think, you know, that's the tipping point when somebody starts to self custody on a, on a hard wallet or on a hard signing device, that is the differentiation between, you know, somebody that is almost fully vested or is fully vested uh, in Bitcoin and can maybe handle some of that uh, more technical language. But I think we really need to be careful around the signing uh, devices and, and how the language we use and the, the tone we take when we're discussing that. Hey, Peter, can you elaborate on that a little bit? What do you mean by the tone we take when you say that? Well, um, you know, oftentimes someone will come up and they'll say, you know, I mean, the typical question is, you know, what's the best, what's the, they say wallet, but you know we know it's a signing device. What's the best signing device? And you know, then we kind of we as Bitcoiners kind of go through this process of well, there's there's all these different. I mean, there's just a plethora of different uh, paths that you can take. And when it comes to the the, the cold storage signing device, um, 
you know, there's the three, there's the three big ones. Um, and it just kind of gets technical. And it also, from my, from listening to the conversations, um, it gets repetitive. And I'm not sure if that is necessarily the, the best way to go about it. Um, and maybe the best way to go about it is to ask a lot of questions instead of give a lot of information. All right. Yeah. I, look, I don't disagree with what you're saying. Um, when you're asking questions in a learning format, that's called the Socratic method, right? And the point of that is, is it draws out information you would not necessarily have otherwise. The, the pedantic part, it kind of comes with the territory because what you're doing is you're typically when you're talking about things like signing devices, now you're getting into that kind of more autistic side of this, the technology spectrum where the guys that are just super, they're super technical. And anytime you start entering the realm of super technical, you're going to have a billion different opinions. And every single person will swear by their third, you know, grandson's life that, you know, what they think is, is right. So, I mean, part of that, there, there's, there's a couple of different parts of that. One is repetition, I think, is good as long as what you're repeating is correct. There's a saying, repetition's the mother of all learning. So for people who are new, I think repetition is required. Like when I'm teaching people how to, how to use firearms, I'm a certified firearms instructor. We go with this concept called a thousand perfect reps. Right, which basically means you you just do it over and over again, and it creates these sort of neural pathways in the mind. And that's the first part. As long as what you're repeating is valid, <laughs> that's the important part. Um, yeah, go ahead, Wicked. Sorry, I muted everybody. Try again, Wicked. No worries. Um, I was going to second what Peter said. Uh, I agree. Um, I, I think things can get pretty technical. Um, but I also wanted to say, um, you know, I mean, once we get to these stages where we're, where we're talking about signing devices and about self-custody, uh, things get very important. Like, they, they get much more kind of, um, what's the word? Uh, I mean, things get much more important to understand in detail, right? Because you're you're dealing with, being fully responsible for a portion, if not all of your wealth. I mean, if you're storing everything in Bitcoin, right? And that's a big, big responsibility. And so <laughs> it should not be taken lightly. Um, and I know that can scare people away, but at the same time, I mean, if that scares you away, then then maybe Bitcoin's not for you, at least not, not yet, right? Um, you know, Bitcoin requires an enormous amount of responsibility if you're doing it right and you're self-custodying it and that and that's kind of the way it should be um you know it, it's no one ever said it's going to be easy to actually be in full control of of your wealth so that's all i have to say i have to drop off for a fiat meeting but uh this was an awesome awesome talk guys i will see you all later today or tomorrow on more spaces See you, Wicked. Go mine those fiat bucks.
to stack more sets. <laughs> Dot, good morning. What do you got? Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, on this topic of community responsibility, uh, to keep things clear, um, I was in a space last night. Shinobi was having a go at some of the Lightning community over security concerns. It seemed like a pretty big issue to me listening to it. It was a bit over my head, but I'm sure like a lot of people in my position where we're relatively early to Bitcoin, we want to look at what the next steps are to making this more of a hyper uh, Bitcoin environment. And that would be moving on towards transacting and using Lightning, for instance. So, um, yeah, I'd like to hear more conversations about uh, those concerns and, uh, yeah, just to hear some more content about that. All right. Very good. We actually have a spaces coming up in the future. We're going to deep dive lightning and speak directly to that. Um, I don't know that we have a whole ton of lightning experts in the room at the moment. I know I'm not one, but, uh, we'll definitely do that in the future. Mark, go ahead. Thank you. Um, I don't know if I'm pipe dreaming here, but I'd love to see a, a day in time where we have an agreed upon um, level system. So, you know, people who are just entering Bitcoin day one, you know, the uh, wallets and self-custody, they're not there yet for the most part. Um, and a lot of the spaces, not this one and not these speakers, obviously, um, can be quite aggressive and quite intimidating and and that's fine for a lot of people but for a lot of people that that can turn them away and scare them and they go running the other way so i don't know if there's ever going to be a day where there's like a level one discussion level 30 discussion all the way to level 100 or something like that and and you can you can know before you even enter the room like where what you can expect right right now there's you enter space and you kind of get an idea um by the title and maybe by the speakers, um, but it's 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 a lot of um, guessing and at this point. Yeah, um, I think you're right. And in fact, the way we run our space, Cafe Bitcoin, is is that we want this to be a super friendly space. We want it to. Be, we want people to be polite to each other. We don't want people talking over each other. And I agree. Like that was a huge turnoff for me when I first joined Bitcoin Twitter is that I'd hop into some of these Bitcoiner spaces and people would be yelling at each other. And I'm like, man, I'm just here to learn. I'm not here to have a bunch of guys like, you know, circle jerking each other and excuse my French, but like all about egos and stuff like that. I just want to learn. Right. So I think you're right. If you have like some ideas, Mark, on like what that would look like shoot me some dms man i'd love to talk to you about that i do know that there are some forms of of curriculum out there that are basic building blocks kind of steps like you said i i know that uh for example sailor academy's got some stuff like that there's others personally what i do is i try to meet somebody where they are like if i'm personally talking to somebody, I, I find out more about who they are, what their concerns are, whether they're technical, whether they're not technical, like what are their main issues? What are their main things that they want to talk about? I just try to meet people where they are. But for purposes of like 
topical discussion. I'm open to all suggestions if you're in the audience and there are certain things you want to learn about that you feel like we don't talk about enough. Shoot me a DM. By all means, let us know. Like, that's what we're here for. That's what this space is here for. I don't know who is next. Oh, I can go real quick. Can you hear me okay? You're good, man. Um, uh, uh, about Shinobi's conversation, I have a—I wasn't in the room, but I have a, a small hint at what the uh, what he was trying to push was the idea, idea of anonymity on the Lightning Network. It wasn't—it's it's not really a technical discussion. It's more about protecting yourself and your your personal identity against uh, some of these uh, chain analytics and the um, dusting of Satoshis to track your transactions, the timing of them and things like that. Um, but just the general idea of privacy and, and protecting your, um, your wallet identity in the future. Um, uh, and I would also suggest lop.net as far as a, a good resource that covers a, a good range of skill levels um, because he offers, there's so many links that you can learn any way you like. And that's the, I think that's one of the best parts about that page. All right. Thanks for the, uh, for the recommendation there. We'll go with Tomer and then Peter. Yeah, I, th I think the last few questioners have all been talking about uh, the, the tone and the level of messaging, especially maybe when it comes to spaces. Um, I think one thing that I'm observing is the community is growing very quickly with all sorts of different newcomers. And there's an interesting psychological effect is that um, the people who've been around for a long time, while they want to welcome newcomers, they seem to want to welcome newcomers who are exactly like them, more so than newcomers who are different from them. And so there's this tension growing as more people have different political persuasions or religious persuasions or economic persuasions come in. And that's creating a little bit of this tension and this uh, clique formation uh, in some of these rooms that we end up seeing. And I think this will sort itself out and work itself out. Like either those cliques will simply enclose themselves and alienate others or they'll become more accommodating to others. But it, there is a, there is, I've noticed that again in the last uh, couple of weeks, an increasing intensity of the tone which feels, uh, which may feel intimidating to newcomers in some ways, either through fancy jargon or insulting or, or other things that aren't really conducive to helping the community grow. If you find yourself in a, the only advice I'd offer on this is if you find yourself in a room where you don't care for the tone, uh, leave. There, <laughs> you might have to be a little bit patient. You might have to do a little bit more searching. But if you're, it's hard to learn if if you don't like the teacher. Um, and and what they're saying is in a way that, that you can't absorb. So if you can't overcome what someone's trying to say, or you're or you're doubtful of the integrity of what they're saying, you'll find you'll find another teacher. There's plenty of teachers in the space. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I agree with that 100. And uh, you know, that's my daily Tomer right there. Every day Tomer says something that's like boom wisdom, and I try to pay attention for that every day. I'm gonna collect that. Put them in my. Uh, in my bag. I'll, I'll send you a lightning invoice for that one. Thanks, Tomer. Appreciate it, man. <laughs>
Uh, I agree. Like, look, we're going to, that, that's probably going to happen. Just like everybody has a different taste in music. Everybody has a different taste in speakers. Everybody has a different taste. Some people enjoy those rooms. Like, like my son likes to l listen to these gamers on YouTube that run around screaming the entire time. They're like, they're just screaming. And I'm, and I'm like, I'm looking at it and I'm like, how, but how can you even pay attention to what's going on? They're just screaming. But he thinks this is the funniest damn thing. So I guess, you know, different strokes for different folks. You have different uh, ways yeah. people, et cetera. No, that's really well put. Like, I, without, without naming names, I was invited into one of those rooms last night, and I was listening, and there was just a lot of, there was a lot of swearing and anger. And I was like, and, I, and when I was invited on stage, I just texted the host and I said, I'm not in the mood. And that was, I wasn't in the mood for it yesterday sometimes i might find myself a little feistier and more in the mood but uh, i didn't feel like sparring last night it's not my vibe peter go ahead so thank you tomer um you always bring a level of calm and reasonability to every conversation and you're you are exceptionally skilled at driving the 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 room back to back to the point at hand, I, and I really do appreciate that. Um, I was in that room with uh, Shinobi last night, and um, I, it was really it, it was really about some processes that are going on, and why people are opening up channels, and whether or not um, they should be doing that. And he really had a very very good point. It was a great conversation. It started off a little heated at first because the, um, some of the individuals who are responsible uh, or have responsibility when it comes to uh, teaching these skill sets and also um, having been the creators of uh, the, uh, the protocols that uh, they were discussing, I think they got a little defensive um, and Shinobi is how Shinobi is. But eventually, at the end of that conversation, there was complete resolution. There was complete understanding. Um, and the understanding was that he had brought up something that was important to address. And I think what I got out of that conversation, um, having lasted through the, um, the, the, the rougher part of it, was that this community is he's not getting paid to do that. And the people that are doing the teaching aren't getting paid. Nobody's getting paid, nobody's shilling anything. This is all about what is best for humanity, what is best for um, everybody in this community. And it is truly amazing how individuals in this community, um, the intellectual honesty that I see in these rooms is is really beyond compare I've, I've really i've been in a lot of different kinds of of arenas before and this one in particular is is really amazing in that way so i, I want to give kudos to to all of those that are involved with the processes um, both for learning and for understanding and for bringing issues to light i, I think it's i think it's amazing yeah, I, I want to just add something to that, Peter, to to the to your point, like mixed in with my previous point. The the tone of what was going on in that room last night was not necessarily for everybody, and and the room labels itself as 
<laughs> they call themselves the Council of Autistic Bitcoiners or something, something to that effect. And and they amongst themselves don't hold back. And 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 the host might be attacked by the guest, and the guest might attack the host, and vice and like the, the host might might attack the guest, and vice versa. And it's not it's not a place for niceties a lot of the time. But they're not there with any other intent than the one that you just described, which is to get to the truth. Um, and it, it may be an ugly process, and you don't have to sit there and witness the whole thing if it's not your um, your cup of tea. What's going to come out of it, though, is some insights, some knowledge, some some good discussion. And if there's information to synthesize and share with the rest of the community, that too will get shared with the rest of the community. So it's you know this whole unregulated, un unprocessed, un ungovernable process of discussing issues and resolving them is part of where Bitcoin's um, anti-fragility and resiliency comes from. You don't necessarily, if you were in a company and that particular meeting was taking place, someone would have gotten kicked out of that meeting, the meeting would have ended, someone might have gotten fired. You can't fire anybody from Bitcoin. Uh, so nobody's getting no nobody's getting fired, right? Like we're all volunteers, and you can't fire us. That's again another one of these unusual things about this this particular entity. You don't have to ask for a job. No one's going to hire you in Bitcoin either. There's no HR department. You come and go as you please. You put up with everybody who does the same as well. There's no HR department to tell you you have to wear a mask in a Zoom meeting. And Ant, good morning, man. How you doing? Good morning. How are you guys? Very good. Thank you. I see. I just want to add. I think um, uh, what we do as Bitcoiners in terms of uh, holding ourselves uh, very high um, to the standards is very important. But I think when it it comes to new users, we need to be a little more uh, cognizant. As in, we have all been through the whole piece. So even you know, when someone comes in new, you're you're not going to tell them. That you know, boss. You, if you're not running your own full node, are you even doing it, doing Bitcoin right and this and that? That is the part where you know we need to be a bit more careful. As in, um, I have seen a lot of people over the years who have been pushed away because of me trying to uh, personally be me trying to be too much of a you know, too much of a, you know too much of a Bitcoin in front of them on the first go. So I've learned that from experience that, you know, when I came in new, I obviously, you know, thought Bitcoin is just another crypto. Let me put money in everywhere, everywhere, you know, let me diversify. So people do mistakes and, you know, they, they hold stuff in custody and all those things, but they are new. So we need to have some more tolerance. But what goes missing in these rooms is uh, the audience for these people is not necessarily uh, new users. And when new user is listening to and listening in, they 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 get completely uh, disoriented. That what are these guys even talking about? You know what? I'm not even going to try Bitcoin. It it all seems very risky, very uh, not very secure. So that's uh, that's where I think we should um, not think about virtue signaling. And uh, it's not just about uh, what we what we say in the say in the in the spaces and clubhouse sessions and all that. Even the stuff we put out, the products we put out, we need to put out products which are which are of very high standards, but we need to understand that people who are going to use those products are not necessarily Bitcoiners. They might be a hairdresser somewhere. They might be doing some other odd job. They might not have had the time to 
uh, go into the rabbit hole as much as we have done. So that's uh, that's all I wanted to add, honestly. Great input. Agree 100%. And if you're new and you're looking for a Bitcoin spaces to hang out in and learn, like we try to keep this as friendly as possible. We promise we'll be kind to you. We won't be mean. There won't be any shouting matches in here. Well, occasionally, but very rarely. Mark, go ahead. Thank you. Um, excellent point by the uh, previous speaker. Just made me think that... Um, um, Oh, shucks. Sorry. I just got distracted by my kid. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, I um, I have three kids myself and they're young age. So uh, often I have to be very careful about uh, there's a lot of F-bombs and stuff going on in, in some of these rooms. Um, but I do appreciate in some of these rooms where they're going on, um, as a previous, previous speaker said, um, they do um, highlight some very interesting and important things and they get down the technical rabbit hole, which I do appreciate. So I myself have a tolerance for it and can, I can uh, deal with that, but there's times where I have, you know, three kids around and I can't. Um, so, you know, there's, it's good that there's a wide variety and I'm not saying that any style is bad to have in the ecosystem. I think every style is good to have and there's, one of the great things about this space is that there's nobody to kick anybody out or fire anybody out. Um, like you said, um, we're all, you know, doing this for the passion and for the joy and for the, um, the advancement of Bitcoin. Nobody's getting paid for this, but um, yeah, thanks. All right. So we have a question that came in by DM that we'll address here in just a minute. New whole puddle. If you're, if you're here, hang around, we'll get to your question in just a sec. We're going to go with Peter and then Pascal, and then we're going to hit that question. Peter, go ahead. So I just put a, I posted a tweet that I had put out up in the nest, and it was in response to uh, Rindell had put out a, a tweet saying, hey, anybody can, anybody can run a node. It's easy. You just download this, do this, and you're done. And onboarding to Bitcoin is such an iterative process, and everybody goes through their own iteration. That's my iteration up there. It's just a short kind of thing about the process that I went through, and I'm not at a node yet. And, you know, I think that recognizing that, um, as the previous two speakers have said, um, is, is really, really important. And I think, uh, Alex, your idea about the Socrates method and, and making sure that you know where somebody's at, and I hear you do that all the time in here, understanding where somebody's at before uh, giving them information and then tempering that information based on where they are and and what you think that they can they can handle hearing is super important. And that's all I wanted to add. Yeah, appreciate it, man. That very very good thoughts there, Pascal. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, good morning to you guys and uh, thank you. I just wanted to add that we are one big family. We are probably the biggest marketing department on the planet. And we, we are, as, as everybody said, not employed, but we uh, take a self-interest and we also want to make sure we coach newcomers. And uh, it's so hard sometimes to understand other newcomers. They want to go to the altcoins, the shitcoins, and they say Bitcoin is boring, it's slow. And I think it's, it takes a, a lot from us to really walk them into this space. 
and uh, not that they get distracted and go gambling. I always say, you want to gamble, you can go to the shit coins, no problem. You want safety, you go to Bitcoin. And uh, that's a message that we have to hammer home, I think, because many people, they get burned on altcoins now, and then they lose interest. They, they have a huge trouble recovering from it. They make losses. And uh, with Bitcoin, we should teach them to take a, a long-term approach, four years and more. And uh, I wonder if, if we could do more on that front to really make sure that newcomers don't get burned and that we put them on the right path. Thank you. Yeah, that's. Uh, I agree with that 100%. I think it's incumbent upon us all as Bitcoiners, if we're orange-pilling people, teaching them about Bitcoin, protect them, help protect them so they don't get burned. Um, yep. There's always going to be people who, who are attracted to that stuff, no matter what you do. Uh, that's the reason why there's gigantic casinos in Vegas that are, cost multiple billions of dollars to build. Um, they don't do that with money from heaven. It comes from people who want to gamble, right? So there's always that aspect of human nature, but wherever we can, I think it, I, I agree 100%. It's incumbent upon us to try and protect people as they come in. Yeah, precisely. All right, I'm going to read this question that we're getting from uh, DMs. We'll let uh, the panel speak to that, and then we'll move towards wrapping up here. The question is, and this is coming from New Hope Hoddle. Hi, Alex. Thanks for the program. Love listening. The 21 million hard cap is what first perked my ears up to Bitcoin. What would you say to someone with paper Bitcoin FUD? In other words, the possibility that more than one exchange may be issuing Bitcoin that they do not in fact own. Is this happening in your opinion? And if so, how is it a threat to the network? That is a great question. Who wants to hit that? I'd love to, man. <laughs> All right, Tomer, you're up. So you can take custody if you are worried that this is happening and there's there's reasonable concern to believe that someone might be claiming to own Bitcoin who doesn't actually have it back. You can take custody of your Bitcoin, <laughs> get a signing device or a wallet, get some software, withdraw your Bitcoin from an exchange, continue to encourage other people to do so. If there is an, an incident that arises, which has happened many times in history as well, where I mean, Mt. Gox being the most famous of these, that they didn't have Bitcoins that they claimed to have sold people. They claimed they were hacked. People claimed they stole them. Whatever. It doesn't matter. They didn't have them. People didn't end up with their Bitcoins. If you held your Bitcoin in self-custody, you were unaffected. So the way to protect yourself from anyone playing any shenanigans is to take self-custody. This is really the big invention here. This is a money that you don't have to go and physically go and get somewhere from somebody that is hard to custody and hard to keep safe and then hard to send to anybody else. It exists on the internet. You can take possession of it. And, and that's the only defense you personally need against anyone doing this. I know there are people concerned, well, if people are getting away with this, they're inflating the supply, they're depressing the price. Great. Buy some more cheap Bitcoin until they get caught. Um, at the end of the day, these... These things come home to roost. And I think as we build a culture of using Bitcoin, it'll become more and more self-custodied and verified. And we will simply end up with 
this being a much, much smaller concern. Great point. hundred percent agree. I'm going to add something real quick, then we'll go to Pascal. Broken, I know you've got your hand up. We'll come to you here in just a second. I appreciate your patience, man. Um, so very briefly, this idea of, of um, entities that are trading more than they can, the beauty of Bitcoin is because the, the amount of it is so limited, ultimately they can't really play that game, in my opinion. I think emergent properties in human nature and human behavioral networks will sniff that out and will destroy exchanges that are doing that. This is the kind of thing that has happened pretty much organically through the history of mankind. You've ever heard of the concept of a bank run, right? Nobody wants their money out of the bank unless they think the bank doesn't have it. And humans kind of figure that out intuitively over time. Uh, and in Bitcoin, we have like this gigantic nervous system, which is Bitcoin, which is the time chain, which we're all talking to each other. Like word of things spreads through the Bitcoin mental network extremely quickly, right? So if someone thought that this was happening on a particular exchange, my personal opinion is there'd be a massive bank run on that exchange. Everybody would pull their tokens out. The water would come out and you would see who's standing there with no clothes on, basically. I think that that's has a high probability of happening, more so in any other networks because of the, the limited number of Bitcoin. Go ahead, Broken. What are you thinking? Hey, what's up? How are you doing, guys? Uh, I just kind of wanted to make a comment on uh, to echo what Peter and uh, Mark uh, Andrew uh, was uh, saying there. Uh, regarding these um, spaces that then we see a lot of discussion and a lot of um, dominant uh, th being thrown, etc. Uh, my advice really for newcomers is really to open up their mind and filter the personalities, right? Ignore the personalities, try to abstract from that because all of us, we came from uh, the corporate world that we need to be very polite all the time. We need to refrain. And all these spices is really, they are very raw uh, at some times. But uh, the reality is that in between all these battles of ideas and uh, diversions of opinions, there is a lot of knowledge that can be acquired and that at least to make you think, right? Because that's actually the fundamental thing that is important here is really to kind of observe uh, all the aspects from a different uh, point of view and uh, really to, you know, you know, psychologically or co in terms of cognitive thinking, allow you to kind of start changing internally, right? Because it's really when you just question and uh, it's really when there are a bit of emotions as well involved uh, is, is the only way for you really to start thinking differently, right? And that sometimes is very difficult if we are used to a world that everyone is just very polite and very nice and very agreeable. And, uh, and that's kind of becomes a problem. So one of the, the things that is good about Bitcoin is, uh, is basically teach people to also to kind of develop th uh, thick skin. And that also involves in having hard conversations and sometimes, you know, take some of those name callings and just ignore, but uh, focus on the points, focus on the message, focus on, on the ideas, right? It's not on the person but really about uh, those ideas because everyone sometimes gets triggered. You know, sometimes are even snarky remarks that are very smooth uh, are enough to trigger people around. And, you know, eventually some people get a, a, a very emotion, uh, very reactive. And those people that have the, those reactions eventually in the eyes of the people end up being the, the, 
on the bad ones, but uh, understand that there are different kind of plays and different kind of uh, um, offenses, right? Some of them are very sneaky and uh, you can tax on the minds. But at the end of the day, filtering all, all that nonsense and just focusing on the, the those, those ideas is really what should be the, the focus. And that's kind of one of the things that newcomers need to open the mind uh, for, really. Not just disregard, because it's very easy to disregard the, the environment just because it's not my liking, because I'm not used to it. But open up the possibility to stay a little bit longer, because eventually, in the middle of all that chaos and nonsense, uh, what you presume to be nonsense, uh, we actually find a lot of things that are super useful to help you kind of uh, construct mental models as well. And by the way, I would just want to like to give a shout for Tomer because he writes great, great articles. And uh, I really appreciate a lot of uh, his writing and he's also equally very useful in a, a much more toned down <laughs> uh, 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 tone. Uh, right, uh, but I think that uh, this place has like as uh, is full of different personalities, and everyone has opinions, and everyone contributes in different ways. But everyone is valuable uh, at the end of the day. Hey, thank you very much. You know, I like to say Bitcoin doesn't need any one of us, but it benefits from each and every one of us, which I think captures your sentiment. Great stuff. Thanks for sharing your perspective, Broken. Pascal, go ahead, and then we're going to wrap up. Um, does anybody know where Michael Saylor is custodian uh, his uh, Bitcoin, his 7 billion or 6 billion of Bitcoin? What kind of service is he using? Or do you a think majority, strategy has its own? A majority of it is with Fidelity Digital Assets. Okay. Very good information. Thank you. Pascal, did you have something you wanted to, sh to say? Or that was the question. My bad. I'm I'm seeing these weird uh, my space is doing some weird things as to as far as who's speaking and whatnot. Okay, we're gonna wrap. Any last comments? Michael Saylor pronounces it fidelity for some reason. That's my final comment. <laughs> 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 Okay, we're going to wrap. You have been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. We've covered a wide range of topics today, and it's been an awesome discussion. Uh, thank you to everybody who's been here. We do these every day, Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific um, and going for about two hours, covering all things Bitcoin. It's a real conversation with real people talking about important things. So thanks to everybody who's been here. I want to thank my co-hosts, Ant and Jacob Pope, um, by the way, this is going to th this has been recorded, and all the future ones will be recorded as well. We're posting them on YouTube as well as all of the traditional podcast formats platforms. Thanks to all the speakers, those of you guys who've taken the time out of your life to help other people. You guys are awesome. Throw these guys a follow; uh, they're wonderful. I work with Swan. I'm a managing director with Swan private and uh if you're interested in learning more about bitcoin by all means shoot me a dm happy to help you out and then finally to everybody who's here no matter how small your contribution is if you're just learning about bitcoin you're welcome always in these spaces and if all you're doing is stacking ten dollars worth of stats or fifty dollars worth of stats a month your contribution matters by contribution i mean you're changing the world literally everybody who's part of that is is slowly changing the world for the better so I want you all to know I love all of you guys. Everybody go out there and have a great day today and crush it.
Bye, everybody.